The following sermon is from the Westminster Pulpit, extending the worship ministry of Westminster Presbyterian Church, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We are a local congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format. I invite you now to turn with me to the book of 2 Kings in chapter 5. Back in February, I preached a sermon from the first part of this text, highlighting how God humbled and transformed an arrogant man named Naaman, a foreigner to Israel, and the captain of the Syrian army. This man, Naaman, presumed that his wealth or doing some great deed might merit favor with God and heal him of his leprosy. Well, the prophet Elisha's instructions to Naaman to simply wash in the Jordan River insulted this great man. However, after talking with his servants, he humbled himself to do this most inglorious task and was greatly surprised to discover something truly glorious, the power and grace of the true and living God. Well, with great joy and gratitude, having been healed of his leprosy, Naaman returns to the prophet, insisting on offering him gifts and pledging to worship Yahweh and him alone. However, it's clear from the text that Elisha in order to give all credit to God that this healing was a work of His grace alone, refuses any gift from the hands of this wealthy man. Well, tonight we turn to the latter part of this chapter to consider the story of Elisha's servant Gehazi, who warns us of the dangers of greed, but also points us to its cure in Christ. Please follow as I read 2 Kings chapter 5, beginning in verse 19. Go in peace, Elisha said. After Naaman had traveled some distance, Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said to himself, my master was too easy on Naaman, this Aramean, by not accepting from him what he brought. As surely as the Lord lives, I will run after him and get something from him. So Gehazi hurried after Naaman. When Naaman saw him running toward him, he got down from the chariot to meet him. Is everything all right, he asked. Everything is all right, Gehazi answered. My master sent me to say, two young men from the company of the prophets have just come to me from the hill country of Ephraim. Please give them a talent of silver and two sets of clothing. By all means, take two talents, said Naaman. He urged Gehazi to accept them and then tied up the two talents of silver and two bags with two sets of clothing. He gave them to two of his servants, and they carried them ahead of Gehazi. When Gehazi came to the hill, he took the things from the servants and put them away in the house. He sent the men away, and they left. Then he went in and stood before his master, Elisha. Where have you been, Gehazi? Elisha asked. Your servant didn't go anywhere. Gehazi answered. But Elisha said to him, 
Was not my spirit with you when the man got down from his chariot to meet you? Is this the time to take money or to accept clothes, olive groves, vineyards, flocks, herds, or men servants and maidservants? Naaman's leprosy will cling to you and to your descendants forever. Then Gehazi went from Elisha's presence, and he was leprous, as white as snow. This is the word of the Lord our God. Let us pray. O Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In one of Disney's more recent animated films entitled Tangled, we find a thief by the name of Flynn Ryder who gets himself tangled up in the uh, beautiful young lady Rapunzel, the girl with the magically long golden hair who is locked up in a tower. Flynn Ryder is a man driven by greed with a selfish ambition to live alone, financially secure. Well, Rapunzel, upon meeting him, manages to swipe from him a prized treasure. And the only way that she'll return it to him is if he will lead her on a long, dreamed-for quest. Well, as Disney would have it in this twist on a brother's grim fairy tale, the man's greed begins to melt as he learns to love and serve somebody else. His selfish desires are replaced with a new drive to live for something greater than himself. We see this beautiful transformation of a formerly selfish man willing to sacrifice his own life for the woman he loves so that she might fulfill and pursue her dream. Well, while Disney may trivialize some of the cost of human sacrifice and overplay the power of human love. It is a pointer to the true sacrifice and the true transformative power of God's grace. Human selfish desires cannot be put away by mere human effort. Those desires must be replaced by the power of a superior affection. In our text tonight, we see a servant of God who succumbs to the power of greed. He sadly commits blasphemy and deception in order to get what his heart craves and then must suffer a severe judgment of God. Gehazi serves as a warning to us about the dangers of greed, but also helps us to see its cure and the power of Christ. I'd like us to consider three things from this text tonight. First, the danger of greed. Secondly, the deception of greed. And finally, the death of greed. In verse 19, we see that Elisha sends Naaman off in peace. Well, in the very next verse, we find that Gehazi is lacking peace. His thoughts, are, his thoughts as he speaks to himself reveal to us the danger of greed, both by a mercenary spirit and masked service to God. Well, Gehazi's mercenary spirit is revealed as he relates these words that he speaks to himself in his own heart. In verse 20, he says, My master was too easy on Naaman, 
this Aramean, by not accepting from him what he brought. It seems that the servant takes issue with his master's policy of not requiring more of this foreigner or accepting any payment from him. In Gehazi's mind, Naaman owed something more. There's even a hint of racial discrimination when he refers to him as this Aramean. It would seem that greed is dangerous because it clouds our understanding of God's grace. Rather than rejoice that this former pagan was now in a living relationship with the living God, Gehazi begrudges his easy entrance into the kingdom. While Gehazi has been slaving away for his God, for Elisha and Elisha's God, having his needs barely met, here this foreigner walks away scot-free with all of his wealth. Gehazi's mindset is saturated with self-pity. He's like the elder brother who resents the father welcoming back the prodigal into the feast without cost and without price. You recall the, his response to his father's appeal in Luke chapter 15 when he says, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. He fails to share the joy of his father. That this one who was lost has been found. That the one who was dead is now alive again. See, greed misplaces our priorities by setting material things as higher and more important than the infinite value of lost human souls. Greedy ears can't hear the rejoicing going on in heaven over even one sinner who repents, being deafened by the siren call of a mercenary, materialistic greed. Gehazi's attitude anticipates the Pharisees, who are determined to shut out the Gentiles from the kingdom of God, hoarding to themselves the redemption of God's grace. Jesus confronts them in Matthew 23, 25. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. By yielding to his desire to cash in on the work of God and deceiving the wealthy man Naaman, Gehazi fails to see that Elisha's intent and objective was to teach this foreigner a lesson in the unmerited grace of Almighty God. Well, not only does greed cause us to misunderstand grace with misplaced priorities, it also insults God with a masked service in his name. At the end of verse 20, Gehazi violates the third commandment by taking God's name with this pledge. As surely as the Lord lives, I will run after Naaman and get something from him. 
The man covers over his greed with a kind of false piety. He pretends to be serving his master before the more than obliging and grateful Naaman, where his ulterior motive was simply to accumulate things to enrich himself. His service was not for Naaman's good, but for his own welfare. He desires material things more than seeing the completion of the transforming power of God by allowing Naaman to give him financial gifts. He diminishes the crystal clear truth that grace is absolutely free. Greed is a matter of loyalties. Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Friends, whom are you serving? Are you the mercenary holding out for the highest bidder? Do you not know that God cannot be outbid by the world? The world and material things promise but fail to deliver. They, ought, they return a very poor return on investment that will not last. It will perish and spoil and cannot be taken with us. Or perhaps our service is masking secret ambitions. Or are you learning, friend, to know the freedom and the joy of serving God without pretension, without false ulterior motives, simply for the joy of pleasing Him and looking forward to the day when He says, Well done, my good and faithful servant. The mercenary in us dies, and the masked service is ripped off our faces we behold the power of God's redemption and we will receive his grace in return for humble faith and service. The cure for greed is not to want stuff less. It's not a matter of ascetic self-denial, but rather a desire for God that satisfies in ways that material things can never satisfy. Only by the expulsive power of a superior affection in Christ can these lesser desires be driven out of our hearts and be kept out forever. As C.S. Lewis once wrote, the problem with us is not that our desires are too strong. The problem is they are too weak. We are like the child content to play and make mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what it would be like invited to go on a holiday at the shore. Yes, like that child, we are far too easily satisfied by the things of this world. Well, not only does greed delude our thinking about grace and the kingdom of God, greed, the the greed of deception, also hurts our relationships with people and with God himself. Greed blinds us and sinks us in unbelief. We see in our text that Gehazi committed deception twice. He lies to Naaman 
and to Elisha, his master. He illustrates for us that you don't do sin. Sin does you. It was Gehazi who was deceived. He was too blinded to see that Naaman was now his brother. Perhaps his race and his status was a hindrance. But Gehazi approached him as a mere tool. Naaman was more than obliging and happy to double the gift as a result of this guise, this pretense of Gehazi coming to ask for help to provide for these ministry workers. Gehazi exploits the generosity of this wealthy man in order to satisfy his desire for financial gain. Well, we know that this entire premise was a complete farce. Well, secondly, Gehazi is also blinded in that he fails to revere his master, Elisha. After following Elisha for years and witnessing the power of God working through this man, even the raising of a little boy back to life, Gehazi treats his master like a fool. Gehazi rejects a new brother and a father in the faith, blinded and self-deceived by greed. Well, perhaps worse to the harm he committed to these earthly relationships, we see that Gehazi damages ultimately his relationship with God. He thought he was blinded by his own greed, thinking that his actions would be hidden by the all-seeing, omnipotent God. His lust for possessions dulls his sensitivity to the omnipresent reality of God in his life. Formerly, he had insulted God's name with an oath, but now he completely disregards the holiness of God, committing deception and robbing himself of integrity and trustworthiness before the Lord. Gehazi trades all this away for some cash and clothing, like Esau squandering his birthright for a cup of soup. On one occasion, a man in the crowd called out to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Jesus goes on to warn the people with his parable of Mr. Bigger Barnes, you know, the rich fool who continues to expand his crop enterprises by expanding his storehouses of grain. Well, the foolish man did not realize that that very night God would confront him and demand his life. And Jesus concludes, This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich towards God. How are we to be rich towards God? What is the cure for greed? Might it be helpful to curb our access to advertisements that titillate our desires, whether coming from the television, the radio, the newspaper, or the internet? Sure, that might be helpful. 
Might we limit the number of outings that we make to the mall or to other places that tempt us to want more stuff? Yes, that might be beneficial. Might you increase your giving to the church and to other worthy ministries in order to limit your access to your own wealth and help put curbs on the desire to spend and the efforts to develop a heart for God? I do believe that the biblical tithe is one of God's means to help curb our natural tendency towards materialistic greed. But I must confess that all of these suggested practices are mere tactics. These are not the ultimate strategy, because a strategy has to touch our hearts and not just our outward practices. What do you desire? And what do you believe will most satisfy you in this life and on into eternity? Only a heart filled with a desire for Christ and his glory can overcome the temptation to greed. Everything else is a mere tactic. And yet, I did endorse to you that your tactics ought to be doing whatever it takes to help cultivate and nurture a daily hunger and thirst for Christ's righteousness and how to yearn for the riches of God that are bound up in our Lord and Savior. Well, as we come to the end of our text, we see that when Elisha questions his servant, he not only probes for the truth, but even gives Gehazi an opportunity to come clean. Sadly, Gehazi deceives now a second time and must suffer the chastening hand of God that points us to the death of greed. Well, God's prophet and representative, Elisha, is godlike in the way that he confronts Gehazi. Rather than beginning with direct accusation, Elisha asks his servant a simple question to draw him out, to test his heart in the likeness of God. But unfortunately, Gehazi is still bound up in his greed and determined to keep his sin uncovered. However, God and his prophet will not be mocked. In another display of God's amazing omniscience, Elisha proceeds to give a play-by-play accounting, retelling the events that had just taken place. We can only imagine how small and terrified Gehazi must have felt being confronted by his master whom he had just betrayed. It serves as a reminder that though you and I may fool other people, all of our secret sins are laid bare before the holy gaze of an all-seeing God. He sees not only our actions, but the very intentions of our hearts. Well, Gehazi suffers the severe punishment. In the pronouncement of judgment from Elisha's word, he's afflicted with the very leprosy that once clung to Naaman's flesh. Some may ask, was God too severe with Gehazi? Was this an overly harsh punishment for him? 
let's recount the record. He had taken God's name in vain. He had deceived a recent convert, abusing the man's goodwill and perhaps causing him to stumble over a misunderstanding of God's grace. And thirdly, he lied to his master, who trusted him and depended upon him. By way of comparison, we might recall other punishments for people who had committed great acts of greed. On one occasion, Joshua and Israel were defeated by the men of Ai until it was discovered that a man named Achan had taken forbidden objects from the city of Jericho, a beautiful Babylonian robe and some silver and gold. Achan was stoned to death. The Gospels tell us that for 30 pieces of silver, Judas betrayed his own Lord and Savior. Judas, in remorse, hung himself. In the early church, we see that a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira lie to the apostles and to the Holy Spirit, pretending to give all of the proceeds from the sale of their property, holding back some deceptively in order to pretend to be giving all of it until Peter pronounces his judgment and they drop dead on the spot. By comparison, we might say that Gehazi got off easy. His life was spared. However, his heart was turned inside out. The punishment was fitting because the very leprosy on his skin became an outward display of his inward condition. He serves as a reminder, indicting all of us of our covetous greed. I believe from this text that the very candid report we have of what was going on in Gehazi's mind before he went to Naaman is perhaps an indicator pointing to the man's repentance. I certainly hope that we will see Gehazi in heaven, unstained and unspotted by leprosy. You see, Gehazi is redeemable. You and I are Gehazi, and we, in our greed, are redeemable. You and I are descendants of greed. Our very first parents who grasped beyond their reach to take that which was forbidden from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We deserve the same as Achan, as Judas, Ananias, and Sapphira. But thankfully, like Gehazi, we are given an opportunity to repent and to find a cure for our problem with greed. Friends, it's only Jesus who healed the leper, who can deliver us from our own leprous condition. The Apostle Paul in Philippians 2 beautifully expands upon the greedless self-sacrifice of our Lord, who did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. He humbled himself and became obedient to death. For you and I, even death on a grisly cross. 
There are those who wonder whether God was too severe with Jesus. Was the cross really all that necessary? But I would respond that the question itself minimizes the heights, the infinite heights of God's holiness and minimizes the infinite depths of our own fallen depravity. Friends, it's only at the cross that we see the real dreadful consequences of every greedy thought, of every selfish act, of every foolish effort to take that which is not ours, to rob God of his glory and claim it for ourselves. The cross is the severe mercy of God laid out on the one who suffered our affliction, the very servant from whom men hid their faces, who bore on his body the hideous reality of that which is lodged in every leprous, human, greedy heart. Friends, the cross of Christ Jesus is our only real hope for change, the only cure for greed. Flynn Ryder was transformed by the beauty of a woman and his desire to satisfy and fulfill her dream and leave away his greedy ways. Han Solo, the one who was only in it for the money, abandoned his greed for the love of a woman and the joy of being a part of something much bigger than himself. Ebenezer Scrooge, fear-struck, at the prospect of dying in his greed, was relieved to find himself still alive with an opportunity to change and live a life of generosity. All these examples offer helpful treatments for the disease of greed, but they don't offer the cure. No, greed must suffer the death nail of the cross. Only when it's uprooted from the human heart. And only when that gaping hole that is left behind is filled and replaced with something much larger. Only then do we find its cure in something more beautiful and more captivating than anything on this world can provide. Only Jesus can captivate our hearts and fill what is lacking in us. All of our longings and desires for the things of this world cannot be appeased or satisfied. Yes, the cure is not in wanting things less, but in wanting more, much more, something better, something that cannot be hoarded, but must be shared, something that is not limited, but is an infinite resource to be spread over all of the world. Greed dies as we adopt Jesus' joy to see his kingdom expand by every sinner who repents as we join him on a quest to make his name great that all might share in the wonder of living content and peaceful lives as the well-loved children of the living God. Let us pray. Father, I thank you that though the greedy sinners that we are, 
You have loved us with an everlasting love, and you have provided that which is lacking in us by sending your Son to replace our greedy thoughts and desires and fill them with the joy of fellowship with the Holy Triune God. Help us to relish and glory in this truth. May we be a changed and transformed people, living not for self, but delighting in the Lord our God. And might you receive all the praise, honor, and glory of lives lived in fellowship with you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.